Hello, and welcome to the Christ Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. This is Matthew Best. I serve as pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Allison Hill in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks for being here. If today's message connects with you and what you're going through, brings you inspiration, or offers connection with God, I ask you to please stay on after the message for just a few moments to learn ways to connect with the congregation and the health ministries that we offer. And now, let's dive into God's Word. A reading from 1 Kings, chapter 12, 1-17 and 25-29. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard that this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who, were, who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, gave him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him, replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make your our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahiyaj the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. For there he went out From there, he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two calves. He said to the people, Is it too much... It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In college, I started off as a biology major, and that didn't work out so well. Uh, Organic chemistry about did me in, and I was not doing well. And so I switched to political science, which was much better. Politics, I guess, is a first language for me. Um, And I was able to get an internship in a congressional office Uh, in the district congressional office near where the college was. And I was super excited. I mean, this is kind of like, this is big stuff. Be able to work for a member of Congress, even as a college intern, pretty pretty neat stuff to get the the workings of how legislative, you know, if you all remember the I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill, right? And, And I was super excited to see how how things worked and you know how we're going to we're going to make positive changes and all this type of stuff very idealistic of course and i go to the office and the office manager pulls me aside and says words that i will never forget <laughs> she said you'll quickly discover that it's a miracle that our system of government works at all No truer words have ever been spoken about not just government, but about any type of human association, I think. Because we're dealing with human beings. And human beings, in all of their beauty and wonder and creativity, and the desire to be in community with each other, are also very flawed. And there are some that are drawn toward cruelty and harshness because of, for who knows, a variety of different reasons. Some of it has to do with a lack of what's going on inside of them. Some of it from what they have, the only thing they've ever known may have been cruelty. It's very complex, right? But it's a miracle that our system of government works at all. I I thought of that when I was thinking about the reading for today. Because you've got, to give you a little context, remember last week we had David, people come, Saul has died, and there's a civil war that goes on for several years. And David survives it. We talked about this last week. And so then Israel is going to be united. All 10 tribes are going to be united. And there's dancing and there's joy. And they're going to move the the, uh, Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And that's where David is going to set up his capital. It's joyful and it's great. And that's where it left off. And then we pick up today. A lot has happened. (laughs) David was described as a, God, a man after God's own heart, and yet he was an extremely complicated character who uh, ends up doing some things that are not great. That's the simple way of describing it. And he becomes a bit harsh on the people. And his son Solomon takes over after him, and 
Solomon, remember the wisest man supposedly who's ever lived, he ends up imposing a lot more harshness on the people. Remember, he's, he's the one who rebuilt, builds the temple in Jerusalem, a house for God. And in order to do that, he enslaves his own people. That's the real story, is he enslaves his own people. There's, if you remember, Israel had been in slavery in Egypt, and they leave, thanks to God. And out in the wilderness, they set up, they, they, get, they get impatient with Moses, and Aaron sets up a golden calf and says, here's, here's your God that sets you free from, from Egypt. Keep that in mind, because it shows up again. And so Solomon is really harsh, and so Solomon dies, and so this is where we pick up today. Solomon has died. His son is Rehoboam, so he's the rightful heir. And the people gather, and Jeroboam had worked for, uh, for Solomon, and they had a falling out, and so he flees to Egypt. Now that Solomon's dead, he comes back. And the rightful heir, Rehoboam, is there, and the people come, and they're like, we'll serve you if you're not as harsh as your father, Solomon. Lighten the load. Well, there was a prophecy, because Solomon also, like David, did things that were unfaithful. And God prophesied that your kingdom will be broken up, and part of it will be given to Jeroboam. That was the prophecy. And so Solomon dies, the people gather, and they're like, hey, lighten the load. And he says, give me a couple days to think about this. And you get this contrast of the elders. And the, and the, the Hebrew is actually the children he grew up with, not the young men he had known. The children he had grown up with. There's a direct contrast. And scripture is being really harsh on these guys on purpose. And it's, yeah, let's lighten the load. They'll follow you if you lighten the load, which is what wisdom would tell you. (laughs) Or, no, you're greater than he is, even though you haven't done anything in your life. And so be harsh. That's what all the phrases are in there. Be a bigger man and assume that control and power is what it's all about. That's what the children that he grew up with, the advice. And he follows that. And what happens is the people are like, no, this ain't happening. And so what the irony is that you got Rehoboam, who comes out as the strong character, has to run for his life. (laughs) And he flees to Judah, where he sets up his kingdom there. And the Judahites love him because Solomon treated them special. He didn't tax them. He gave them special privileges and forced the rest of Israel to essentially support them. And so they're thinking, oh, he's going to do the same thing. It's great. And so then what you have is Jeroboam setting up his capital. He had been prophesied to take over. He's obviously not as harsh. And yet he slips because he's worried about power. And he says, well, the only place that people can worship is Jerusalem, and that's in Rehoboam's territory, and if they go there, they're not going to come back, and they're going to they're rise up, 
and they're going to throw me off and I will be out of power and dead. And so he sets up two golden calves. Israel had been in Egypt and enslaved. And where are they now? The same thing. In their own land. The story goes on and on and on. A story of power struggles, a story of cruelty, a story of false gods, a story of conflict. This is the human story. It's a miracle that any of it works. It's a miracle. That's just kept what coming to my mind as I'm reading the story, and as you might know, all of the kings of the northern kingdom are terrible. The kings of the southern kingdom, there's just a couple that are okay, maybe good, and the rest are terrible. And it becomes this idea of what do we put our trust in? Who do we put our trust in? Because it seems like this is a story that just goes on and on through human history. And so we look at this and we go, well, where's the good news in this? I mean, you read this story and you're like, man, where's the good news? It's not listed anywhere going, uh, good news, here. Right? Because it's a piece of the story, the larger story. It's a piece of Israel's history. It's a piece of human history. All I think the good news is out of this that it's not about the human efforts that are going on because humanity has done a really great job of not getting it right. How many times do we have to push for violence and destruction? How many times have we tried that? <laughs> when there's an attack somewhere, what do we do? We go right into attack mode. When there's something that happens, we respond in equal. It never works. This is humanity's normal habit of going back to. It doesn't work. It never has, and it never will. And I'm going to say that's good news. That's good news, because we know it doesn't work. There's an alternative. And humanity as a whole is probably never going to choose it. And that's God's way. We... As, as a whole, humanity is not going to choose God's way because humanity has put itself in the place of God. Think about what these guys, these two kings, are concerned with. Power and control. They're just examples of humanity, what the desire is. But again, I keep going back to what I had told you at the very beginning, it's a miracle that it works at all. God's in the business of miracles. 
Not the things that we expect, not the things that are routine, not the things that we have seen over and over and over again. God is in the business of miracles. It is a miracle that the government functions at all. It is a miracle that the church exists. It's a miracle that there is life. It's a miracle that God would take on human flesh, empty God's self, submit to humanity's cruelty, die, and say, death doesn't get the final say. God does. And God is about love and hope and a future and about community and about forgiveness, which is, oh my gosh, so needed. And about reconciliation and about feeding the hungry and welcoming the stranger, caring for the poor and the outcasts, of healing, freeing people. It's an incredible, miraculous message. I want to I close with, um, there's a, a, a colleague of mine had posted this. It's a, it's a poem. It's a poem by Ann Weems. I don't know who that is. But it, I think it just really captures so much of this. It, and it's, the, the title of the poem is, I No Longer Pray for Peace. This is really interesting. And this is what caught my attention. So this is what she wrote. On the edge of war, one foot already in, I no longer pray for peace. I pray for miracles. I pray that stone hearts will turn to tender-heartedness and evil intentions will turn to mercifulness and all the soldiers already deployed will be snatched out of harm's way and the whole world will be astounded in, onto its knees. I pray that all the so-called God talk will take bones and stand up and shed its cloak of faithlessness and walk again in its powerful truth. I pray that the whole world might sit down together and share its bread and its wine. Some say there is no hope, but then I've always applauded the holy fools who never seem to give up on the scandalousness of our faith, that we are loved by God, that we can truly love one another. I no longer pray for peace. I pray for miracles. It's a miracle that any of it works at all. Thank God for those miracles because they give us a possibility of life. God isn't promising that everything's going to be all dandy and wonderful. God promises to be present with us in the midst of it through the hardest times, through the worst pain and suffering, through cruelty and disaster, God will be present, not to take it away, but to say it's real, and that that's the time when God's love is most present, and we feel God's love, and how much we don't deserve it, that God gives it anyway. And God loves us 
so much that God would risk God's self in the midst of all of that. That's the miracle. That's why we keep going. That's why it all works the way it does. Thanks be to God. Thank you again for listening to the Sermon Podcast. I'm always happy to have a conversation or pray with you. Please reach out either by email to pastor at christharrisburg.org or call me at 717-236-8382. I'd also invite you to be part of worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're a very diverse, open, affirming, and laid-back congregation. Christ Lutheran Church is located at 124 South 13th Street in Harrisburg. Parking is along the street. You can enter the building through the side entrance on South 13th Street or at the corner of 13th and Thompson Streets. And lastly, check us out on the web. Our website is ChristHarrisburg.org. There you can learn more about and offer your support for the congregation as well as the health ministries and free clinics that we provide to people in need in our neighborhood. I invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram also at Christ Lutheran Harrisburg. Thank you. I look forward to connecting with you, and I pray that you have a blessed week.